So continuing our study here, part two in our series in Genesis, the main thing that we're looking at in this section of Genesis is answering this question. So what happened to paradise? Everything that God made was very good. You know, when you look out of the world, there's certainly lots of things that we can see that are good, but there's also plenty of things that are broken, disease, uh, hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, death, pain, suffering, murder. I mean, it's just good on the list. There is so much pain. There is so much suffering and death in our world. Why is that? That's what this passage is really getting to. But three preliminary things that I'd like to, to, to kind of set up here for the rest of the passage. First of all, there is a structure to Genesis, and we see that in our first verse here. He says, these are the generations of. That, the Hebrew that's behind that is this word called toledot. And there is what's called a toledot structure. That phrase, these are the generations of, is repeated several times throughout Genesis. They're like headings. They're like chapter breaks. You know, the chapters and verses we have in our modern, modern Bible were added way, way later. But Moses, when he wrote it, it's, it's almost like, okay, new section, new section, new section. These are the generations of. In this case, it's the generations of the heavens and the earth. And so here's a little chart that, that shows you all of the different uh, parts uh, Toledot mentions within Genesis. And you can pause this video if you want to, or come back to it if you want to write these down. You can also find these all over the internet. But, you know, each of those sections there, so we have the Toledot of Adam, generations of Adam, Noah, sons of Noah, and so on. Each of those are these major sections. And we're going to use that also as kind of an outline for us as we go through uh, script the, the book of Genesis. Uh, in our current series, we're going to go up through uh, the generations of the sons of, of uh, Shem, because Terah is the start of Abraham. Terah was the father of Abraham. And so uh, we're going to do all the way up to Abraham as a first section. We're going to take a little bit of a break. And then we're going to come back to Genesis and do Abraham, and we're going to take a little break. We'll do, we're going to do it in sections like that. And the other thing I want to note is that we're, go, we're taking it story by story. So rather than zeroing into the detail, we're going to take each major story as a whole. So uh, from Genesis chapter 2, verse 4 through the end of chapter 3, that's one story answering the question. So what happened? Why is there so much brokenness in the world? Now, there is tons of little detail that we could go into in this, in this part of Scripture. You guys can talk about that in your group, but I don't want us to take so long going through Genesis that we miss the big, big details. You know, it's like the saying of miss the forest for the trees. We can be so focused on one tree that we miss the whole big points that God's making in each of the stories. So we're, when we get through this, it'll take us seven weeks total to get through up to Abraham will then take several weeks to take a break and go back to areas of interest that we want to dig a little bit farther in. I know there's at least two areas so far that I'm very interested in, in digging farther in. For, one of them is the whole image of God idea. What does it mean for mankind to be made in the image of God? The other one I think we could look at is the whole idea of marriage. But maybe there's other areas that you guys would like to look at. If you have specific things that we come across as we're going through this, 
send those to me and, and we'll try to make a list and cover as many of those as we can in the weeks following these first seven weeks, okay? So feel free to dig in where you want to in your discussions, but make sure that you're focusing and you're not losing track of the big idea that God is trying to get to us here. So, all right, so that's, that's one thing that I want to share with you guys. The second thing that I want to share with you guys is this whole big um, meta-narrative of Scripture. And I've got a chart here on the screen. And I'm just going to, in broad brushstrokes, draw the picture. So Genesis 1, God creates a good creation. And it's a paradise in Genesis 2. But something happens. Genesis 3, it's called the fall. And there's a descent from there. We see murder, uh, violence, increased violence in the world, and the flood. Uh, we see the Tower of Battle and the scattering of nations. So that's our first section that we're going to be running through Genesis. But then there's a, the narrative continues to our present day into the future. Genesis chapter 12, Abram is called. And this is the beginning of the restoration from God. And obviously this, this chart is not to scale by any means. Um, then we see the development of Israel throughout the Old Testament. And we see Jesus then enters the world in the Gospels. And then the church becomes sent uh, through the New Testament, even today. And then we look forward in the future to when Jesus will come again. And then we're going to see in Revelation 21 and 22, it talks about the restoration of the paradise. And there's four big categories for each of these. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. That's a simple way of, of, of covering the entire, entire narrative of God. And, and that, those four things are a complete and total worldview for how to look at the world uh, to answer the big questions of life and even to look uh, at our own lives and the circumstances that we see around us. Why are there good things in the world? Well, that's because God created it. Why, you know... What about the problems? Well, that's because of the fall. And, and what does redemption look like? And do we have any hope in full and complete restoration? And what's that going to look like? And when? And all, all those kinds of big, big things. Those all fit into that big biblical uh, meta-narrative. And then the next, the third and final thing, then these are three things that I want us to kind of hold on to as we're going through Genesis, is the idea that Jesus appears in all of scripture if you go back to luke chapter 24 this is after jesus raises from the dead and it's the 40 days before he raises into heaven and he's spending time with his disciples and he says this in verse 27 and beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself there is a shadow of jesus that is cast onto all of Scripture, where uh, if you were reading it at the time that it, was, that it came out, you wouldn't necessarily catch it. But when you come to the end and you get to see the entire story, the, the re revelation of God's gospel, you then begin to see these things. So as we're going through Genesis, I want us to look for Jesus. Let's look for the gospel. Let's look at for what he, uh, where we see him. It also says in verse 44, Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, Genesis through, through the, the Pentateuch, and the prophets and the Psalms must be 
fulfilled. Jesus is all through these pages. So we want to pay special attention to those and look for that as we're going. Okay, so back to the big question. What happened to paradise? Why is what was good so awful now and broken? How, how, what happened? That's the story of Genesis 2 through 3. So I'm going to just highlight a handful of verses here. It says in, in verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. We go back and we get a little bit more detail of the creation of mankind. I can't go through all of it, but I just want to highlight here that God gives them one command. There is only one rule. He has given them every tree of the garden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You know, guys, when we, um, I think because of we are in our nature, want to do what we want to do rather than do what is right, to do what God wants us to do. In our nature, if there is one thing among thousands, one thing among thousands that we can't have, we become fixated on that one as if it's the thousand. You know, Jesus later said that the narrow way is the way to righteousness, but the wide way is the way to death. In other words, there's one way to follow God, but thousands of ways to not follow God. This is like the reverse of that. Before the fall, there was one way to not go in the direction of God. I think that's an important thing for us to, a truth to hold on to when we ask big questions like, why would God put this tree here? Why would God allow Satan to get into this garden? Keep in mind that they had everything they needed, and there was just one thing that they weren't allowed to have. And note that he says, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. The day you eat of it. Not one day, the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Hebrews 12, this earth 3, jumping into the future, and I, I want us to be thinking about this so that we think about how this story of Adam and Eve, it gets repeated in our own lives. This is nothing new. This is the human condition we're seeing and who we are. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Do I believe what God says? Do I believe what God says? If I don't, then it's going to lead you to fall away from the living God. He says, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Guys, we need each other for this battle because sin is deceitful. And we're going to see that in this text. Because starting in chapter 3, uh, we have a new character enter the scene and we begin to see what unfolds and how paradise is lost. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. Enter Satan. We, have, uh, we know from other parts of Scripture that this isn't just any serpent. This is the serpent, the devil himself. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? Did God actually say? Guys, um, we need to listen to Jesus and do what he says. Listen to Jesus and do what he says. And I think that temptation, evil, Satan, tempts us on both sides of that. He first tempts us by not listening. Don't listen to what God has to say. Don't listen. You can't obey him if you can't hear him. And he also likes to twist what God 
says, and he also likes to deny what God says, but he hits us on both sides, the listening side and the obedient side of Jesus. He said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Again, it's a question about what God said, questioning what God said. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now he's starting to attack him. Not, he first was attacking what God said. Now he's a- attacking whether God's way is going to be best. He's, he's implying that God is holding something back from you. And one of the things that I, that I, I realized more recently about this passage is that he's set, telling her, if you, if you eat of this, then you will be like God. And I kind of had always in the past assumed that there was some truth to that. But it says in Genesis 1 that God made mankind in his image. In other words, we are already like God. In other words, God has given us everything that we need. But we find ourselves not only ignoring what he says, being deceived about what he says, or twisting what he says, but then desiring the wrong path where we want to go in a different way because we think that that way is going to be so much better for us for whatever reason. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, in other words, she's now convinced that, yeah, I'm looking, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that it was a delight to the eyes. It is appealing. Guys, sin and the, and the path to death is never as ugly as it really is. It always starts off looking great. God, uh, Satan never presents to us a terrible choice. The choice is always very appealing. And the tree was to be desired to make one wise She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. Previously, after the creation of mankind, it it makes a point of saying that they were comfortable being naked. You know, imagine like, you know, young little kids, they run around naked as if they're not, because they're so comfortable in their skin. It's innocence. It's complete innocence. Innocence was lost. The moment they ate it, there was a death that happened. They died that day. A good part of them was killed the moment they disobeyed God. They died. They are in the process of dying, and one day they will ultimately die. That is humankind. That is us. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then skipping down a little bit farther, uh, God curses uh, Satan, uh, Satan, the serpent, uh, the woman, and the man. And there's a lot of specifics in detail there that we can't go into right now. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Note that God's saying, Look, I've, this is a very evil being now capable of all kinds of wretched and terrible things, which we're going to get a nice little tour of the nastiness of humankind through Genesis chapter 11. God's saying, I can't let this person live forever. There's too much pain and suffering that will be caused by that. 
So therefore the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden he placed the cherubim, so these angels, and a flaming sword that turned away every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And that picture is put on top, God put on top of the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was put in the, in the center of the Holy of Holies of the temple that God later had Israel design and build for him. In, in other words, the symbols of the Garden of Eden are there showing that the way back to the living God is protected by angels with a flaming sword. It is not available to us. And then think about the power of the symbol of when Jesus dies on the cross, a blood sacrifice on behalf of people is given. That curtain tears wide open so that what was lost is restored by the blood of Jesus. Just absolutely phenomenal uh, symbolism. And that the call back to Jesus is famously in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, in the curse to the serpent. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first little tiny sliver glimpse of hope and grace that God gives to them. Uh, theologians have called this the Proto-Evangelium. It is the first expression of the gospel, the shadow of Jesus is being cast back over all of the Old Testament. John 3:16 through 19 I think has some really amazing ideas in this as well. What was lost, restored and redeemed through Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. Guys, the story of Genesis chapter 3 is repeated in our lives over and over where we refuse to listen to God, where we just twist and, 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 and distort the words of God. And then we see these evil things that we desire, our, our way that we want to go. And we desire the darkness. That's why we sin, ultimately, at that deep level. And I love how uh, Richard Dawkins, a famous atheist today, he said that belief in God is uh, something that people do who are afraid of the dark. And John Lennox, who is a, a mathematician um, from Cambridge, he said that not belief in God, atheism, is for those that are scared of the light. The light of the world has come into the world, and he's given us the opportunity to return to him and to be with him in the light. And note what it says in James chapter 5, verse 16, and going back to also the passage I read in Hebrews chapter 3. This is something that we do together. We battle sin together. He says, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. 
there isn't a call to accountability as in, you know, like a negative kind of thing. There's a call just to be open with one another with what we're battling because we need the encouragement, the exhortation of one another to, to listen to Jesus and to obey him. That's what we need because the, the story of Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3 is repeated over and over in our lives. Do we listen to Jesus? Do we obey him? We need one another for that. And I would encourage you guys, especially in your intentional relationships, the Christians that you're closest with, make sure that you are an open book to their lives. Share with them when, when, you, when you've sinned. And be honest with them with that so that they can battle with you. Guys, not in judgment or some kind of hard accountability of one another, but in love so that we can pray for one another at the heart of the battle that's going on in our lives. So guys, discuss this together. There's a lot of detail here. Send me any questions that you guys have that you'd like to maybe dig a little bit deeper into for later on. And remember, guys, to listen to Jesus, obey him, and remember that you are loved.